0: Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. I've been getting to know your pastor, Aaron. What an awesome brother. Already, I love him so much. As I've been getting to know him, I know you. And so I was thinking this morning, you don't know me. Uh, our brother Alan told you I'm I'm now the missions pastor at Hope Church. But I want to tell you a little bit about myself and about my family before we dig into God's Word, uh, because I hope we will take this journey today together. That none of you will check out thinking, "Who is this guy? I don't know him. He's not my pastor. I'm your brother." Maybe I'm like your son. Maybe I'm your uncle. My name is Gary Jasmine. I'm here with my awesome, beautiful wife, Siham. Siham, Siham, would you stand up? Let everybody see you. That's my wife, Siham. (laughs) If you see anything in me, anything good, there's only two places to give credit, our Lord and my awesome wife. Mm. If not for Siham, if not for God using Siham in my life, I may not even be following Jesus today. I thank God for my wife. My wife is from Ramallah, Palestine. That's just near Jerusalem. And her and her family immigrated to the U.S. right after the Six-Day War in the 60s. And we met in Detroit, Michigan. And that's where I'm from, from Detroit, I'm literally from the streets of Detroit. I won't tell you much about my childhood, but just know that I had a rough childhood, broken family, uh, and I became a rough person. As we would say in Africa, I was even a rascal. By 12 years old, stealing, breaking and entering, all kinds of things. I became a U.S. Marine. I did not grow up going to church. I didn't know what it looked like to follow Jesus, but in 1990, in a VA hospital, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. (laughs) The great exchange took place. He took what was in me, and he put himself into me. I received the Holy Spirit that day, born again a new creature, a new creation. But like you, I had a problem. I was now entering what we would call the process of sanctification. That's a big Bible word. That simply means I'm now becoming in practice who I already am in position. Yes. And so when I came to Christ, I was carrying, as my wife would say, a big bag of all my old habits and my old thinking, any of you like me? I had a new life. I had a new future. I had a new spirit. I've been born again. Eternal life is mine. The life of Jesus alive in me and me alive in the life of Jesus. Now and forever. I've been adopted into his family, but I came from a different family. So I didn't really know how to act. I had to kind of learn the new family system. I'm still learning. My wife and I have 4 children and 8 grandchildren. So I too am a grandpa. <laughs> after after accepting Christ in 1990 in that veterans hospital, after that my wife and I began following Jesus together. We began joining in God's activity both locally and globally. I had a construction company for 17 years. My wife had a hair salon for 25 years plus. During that time, we were learning to follow Jesus. He was changing us. He was transforming us. We did over 30 short-term mission trips around the world. In 2006, we were commissioned as full-time missionaries. We spent the last seven years in Ghana, West Africa. Now, I already told you I was a Marine. So you know there's a little bit of stubbornness in there. So going to Africa, it was a big step for me. Only God could do that. How could God take someone like me, draw me into his family, heal me, change me, bring me into working with him, to be a servant of the Lord? But my wife, think about that. We had our own home. We had built several homes. We have children, grandchildren. My wife was willing to leave all in following Jesus. Just recently, I was in Africa with some of our pastoral staff from Hope. And one of the things they kept saying was, We can see you. We, we, we see how God has shaped and used you in Siham all these years. They said, it's amazing that Siham came here and lived here, served here. That's faith. That's my wife, my awesome Siham. Thank God for Siham. Amen. I told you I didn't grow up in church, but in 1990, I accepted Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Please save me. That night in the hospital, I said my first real, honest, humble prayer. I I was at this point. I wasn't sure if it all made sense to me. The Bible, sin, the gospel, forgiveness, grace, salvation, salvation. I just wasn't sure about all that. But I knew there was something about Jesus. I knew. That night I prayed, Lord, Jesus, God, if you're who people say you are, then you know who I am. And I'm dying. If you don't come and save me, I'm not going to make it. Please come into my life. Save me. That was my first real prayer of humility. Now, before then, I said some prayers whenever I was in trouble. I prayed to help me, save me, deliver me. But it wasn't a prayer of humility. I'm a sinner. You're a holy God. Please forgive me. I told you I still wasn't sure about how it all worked and about whether Jesus was the only way. That was a difficult step for me. But God had put some people in my life over the years, some genuine followers of Jesus, and I saw something in their lives. I began to to realize that Jesus was more than special. He was more than just a holy person. I, I wasn't sure yet about Jesus being God and Abide. But I knew there was more. And one thing happened to me. I began to read the life and times of Jesus for myself, right, the Gospels. And I realized that whether I believed in the Savior or not, I couldn't deny that Jesus lived the best possible life that anyone could ever live. That was life at the highest level. And you couldn't go wrong by following the teachings of Jesus. I at least knew that much. And I began wanting to follow Jesus. I began wanting to know him, but I began began to even try to follow Jesus. Now, all of us here who know Jesus as our Savior, we also know something else, that it's impossible to live the Christian life. What I mean by that is the Christian life is the life of Jesus, Our senior pastor will often say it this way. The Christian life is not you and I working and trying to do better, to be better, to clean up our lives. The Christian life is literally the life of Jesus alive in me. It's Jesus living his life in and through me. That's the real Christian life. The key to a successful Christian life or following Jesus is in submission. I can't, but you can take over you lead Having questions or doubts or even being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from becoming a follower of Jesus Being a sinner does not disqualify you from becoming a follower of Jesus in fact it's a prerequisite In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 Paul has followed Jesus for some years Paul has watched Jesus do amazing things in and through him. And Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief, of who I am the worst. No one in the first century believed Jesus. Jesus invited unbelievers to follow him. Jesus often invites the most unlikely people to follow him. When we read the New Testament, we can see that you can start following Jesus even without believing. How many times did Jesus say to his own disciples, still, you don't believe? Still, such small faith Still, follow me. That was the first and basic message of Jesus. The first invitation of Jesus were those two words. Jesus' invitation is not a religious invitation. Religion says change and you can join us. But Jesus says join us and you will change. You get close to Jesus and it changes you. It transforms you. Religion is man's attempt to get to God, to get right with God. But in Christianity, we know there's no way to get right with God. There's nothing we can do. But in Jesus, God comes to us. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. But in Jesus, God came down to us. Follow me and I will change you. Faith often begins with following. It's a process. It's often gradual. It happens over time. Some of us in here, we've been following Jesus for some years. Even today we came in discouraged, thinking I should be doing better. I should be serving more. I should be more faithful. I should have more joy. What's going on? with me, Lord. Some of us came in here today like that because it's a process. Becoming in practice who we already are in position. Let's look at the process a bit. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel let's unpack that for a minute there's so much said in there what jesus is saying is time's up god's kingdom is here change your life and believe the message time's up Everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been praying about, all the scriptures that you've been looking forward to their fulfillment, it's happening right now. The kingdom of God is near. Why? Because the king is here. God is on the move. Wake up. Don't miss it. The next thing Jesus says is, repent. Repent. What a wonderful word. In the Old Testament times, when God was about to do something, he called people to repentance. That simply means whatever they were doing, wherever they were going, God was saying, turn and put your full attention back on me. I'm about to do something. And if you don't turn and put your full attention on me, you're going to miss out on it. When Jesus came, many missed it, didn't they? Many missed it. Why? Because they didn't wake up. They didn't realize that the king was here. And they also never turned and put their full attention on him. Here's how repentance, here's what it means to me. I told you I was a Marine. One of the first things we learn in the Marines is how to move, how to march, how to move together. The first command we learn is halt. Time's up. Stop. About face, forward march. That's what repentance means. It is literally a 180-degree turn. Here's my problem and your problem. A little while later in boot camp, we learned about right face and left face. Right, That's a half turn. That's how most of us look at repentance. We make a half turn. I like to say it this way, I'll turn... And I have one foot where, where I used to be, where I used to be going, and one foot now pointing toward Jesus. And I'm actually out of balance. The Bible calls this being double-minded. But true repentance is a full turn. It is said that man is born with his back to God relationally. We are born with a sinful nature, with our back to God. But when we repent, we turn around and face God full on. We acknowledge, God, I can't, but you can. I'm yours. Repent and believe the good news. I love the word believe. The word that Jesus used for believe, it does not mean intellectually I can, I can connect the dots and I agree with you. That's not what Jesus meant. We often use the example of a chair. It's like this. If I tell you I believe in this chair, what would you say? Do I believe in this chair? Do I? According to Jesus, I don't believe in this chair. Now, I have some things that are very important to me. Family pictures are in here. Some small res- very small resources are in here. <laughs> some, even some credentials are in there. Part of my identity is in there. I have, uh, I have a car that the Lord has allowed us to use. It's important to me. I have some things that are very important to me. Do I believe in the chair? No. According to Jesus, that's not believe. Okay, what about now? Do I believe in the chair? According to Jesus, I still don't believe in the chair. See, because if you pull the chair, I can still... You know, it's me and the chair. According to Jesus, to believe is to put my full weight on him, in him. Repent and believe the good news. That's what it means to believe, to put your full weight in and on him. Amen? Repent and believe. Now, let's go farther. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. As Jesus walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Let's unpack that just briefly. In the original Greek language, it's it's an invitation. It's, It's like Jesus says, come, come, move toward me. Move with me. I want you to respond to me. Come. Follow me. That means become my disciple. Make my lifestyle your lifestyle. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch me. Learn from me. Make my way your way. Follow me. When I was younger, I used to be a martial artist. That happened when I was at a very young age. For many years, I trained in martial arts. And I trained under uh, several masters. And while I trained under the master, I was a disciple. So I understand something about being a follower, being a disciple, because of that. And here's what it was. Anything that they led me to do or asked me to do, I gladly did it. I used to condition my body on bricks and boards and concrete. Punching, stretching, doing all these things. Gladly. It was painful. Why did I do it? I was a disciple of a master. And I wanted to be able to do what the master could do. So I gladly did anything they asked me to do. I, sometimes I give this example. And I thought today I wouldn't do it. But I will show it to you just in case. Some of you are looking a little bit like you're not with me. And so I told you I'm, we have grandchildren. Now, I stopped all the martial art training in 1990. After I came to Christ, I, can, I was like this. I was one, one foot in Eastern thinking, I was really a Buddhist, and one foot with Jesus, and I was like that. And I quit, and quickly the martial arts fell off for me. It didn't matter to me anymore. Why did I need to train for fighting and defense? Again, nothing wrong with that. It's a great sport. But for me, I was unhealthy with it. So it just fell away. I was now learning to fight the good fight. I was now learning to be a follower of Jesus, not a follower of another discipline. So I told you I'm I'm now getting older. Grandchildren, I stopped training in 1990. So that's 25 years ago. So I can still do some things because I used to be the disciple of a master. Why? Anything the master told me to do, I gladly did it. But now as a follower of Jesus, why is it so difficult to do what he asks us to do? To follow where he asks us to go. All of us follow things and people. Follow me, become my disciple. I love this next part. And I will make you. I love that. I will make you into something you are not. I will change you and I will use you to reach people. Your assignment, your work, your invitation is to follow. And I will make you what I created you and designed you to be. I've often tried to make myself into something my plans even this to this day i'll get an idea it's a good idea i'll search the scriptures it lines up with scripture and i'll ask god to bless it but am i truly following him or am i actually trying to get him to follow me how do you like that idea lord now would you bless it would you help me do it how about you Come, follow me. I will make you. He does the making. Reminds me of when he told Peter. Peter confessed who Jesus was in Matthew 16. And Jesus says, don't get a big head. Don't be prideful. You didn't figure it out on your own. My Father revealed it to you. And on that rock of truth about me that you just spoke, I will build My church. Follow me. I will make you. You don't have to make yourself into anything. Follow. Fishers of men. To do in someone else's life what someone and Jesus together did in my life. Fishers of men means bringing people into the kingdom of God and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like this. A fisher of men means the message and the messenger and the Holy Spirit makes the perfect combination to do in someone else's life what Jesus and someone did in my life. Amen? And they followed him. He saved them, he changed them, and he used them to save many. They actually followed him. Right where they were, with their doubts, with their fears, with their lack of belief, they became his followers. And their faith grew out of their following. And he used them. Even God, we are here today because of how Jesus used his followers. Come follow me, I will make you. Am I a follower of Jesus? Not how much do I do. Not how much do I attend or how much do I know. It's not how much do I study, give. Am I currently intentionally following Jesus? I used to think this. If I love Jesus, I have to give up everything for him. I must not love him because that's hard. I'm willing to give up some things, but everything, I've heard it like this. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. That's hard. There is some truth in there. But our relational dynamic with Jesus, we're saved by grace. Not by our works, not by our efforts. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That one was difficult for me for some years. Because that's hard. It seems like too much. These, these original disciples, they immediately left everything and followed him. To a point, it almost seems irresponsible, if we're honest, right? What a, they, they had their own business, Simon and Andrew. The sons of Zebedee, they left their father working in a boat. It, it almost doesn't sound right. What about their families? What about their responsibilities? You know what I'm saying because you've wrestled with it just like me. I want to follow Jesus in everything, but how can I? What about this and what about that? But that's not all the story. Let's look at a little bit more of the story. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, we're we're actually going to read through this and then we'll talk through it. Now, what we saw in Mark chapter 1, what we see in Matthew 4, even here in Luke 5, this is not the first interaction, the first experience that the disciples have had with Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we know that even at Jesus' baptism, Andrew and Simon were there. The wedding in Cana, they were there. They had some exposure to Jesus before they dropped everything and followed him. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude's from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats and they both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. The first verse, people are pressing in to hear the Word of God. It became such a priority in the life of people to just hear the Word of God that they pressed in. This was at the the seashore. No trees, no shade, no drinking water, no food stands. This was not an easy environment. No air con, no lighting, bright sun, heat, They're pressing in. They want to hear the Word of God. And the fishermen were cleaning their nets and listening. That's real important. They were working and listening. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the Word of God. They were working and listening. This is a very important scripture. Peter, can I borrow your boat? Brother, can I borrow your sister? Can I use you fill in the blank? Can I borrow some of your time, some of your talent, some of your treasure? And Jesus uses the boat as his pulpit. And when he finishes, he says, put out into the deep for a catch. Now, most of you are familiar with this story. It doesn't make sense. These fishermen had already worked all night. They were professional fishermen. You don't fish with a net in deep water. You fish in shallow water. It's surface fishing in the cool of the day or even in the night. To put out into deep in the heat of the day, it doesn't make sense. You just don't do that. It will be a wasted effort. They've already worked all night, and they've now cleaned their nets, which is no small task in itself. The boat was clean. The nets are clean. Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus asked Peter to do something differently, something that doesn't make sense to Peter. Peter respectfully resists. Does Peter really think he can trust Jesus? The request doesn't make sense to Peter. Master, we fished all night, and it did not work out. All of our expert efforts, no results. What hangs in the balance of Peter's decision? Plenty. After this decision, this step of obedience, Peter goes on to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. But he has a choice to make. I want you to do something different, Peter. Even though you've done it a thousand times, this time I want you to do it differently. Look how God used Peter. You know, right now in Rome, there's St. Peter's Cathedral, said to be one of the most amazing pieces of architecture known to man. It took 120 years to build Peter's Cathedral. 120 years of construction. It's so ornate and massive. It's one of the two largest churches in the world today still. Why? Because of Peter's obedience to Jesus. Because of his submission to Jesus. How many times have we met people who are discouraged because of hard experiences, because of frustration, because it's just not working out? How many times have we suggested a solution to a person's problem and they immediately respond, "Ah, I've tried that. But did you try it? at the Lord's direction? Or did you do it on your own initiative? It makes a huge difference when the Lord directs you to do a thing. You can be sure when the Lord is directing your service, your service will never be in vain. Master, because you say so, I'll do it. When is the last time you said, master, because you say so, I'll do it. It doesn't make sense. I don't think it'll even work out. But because you say so, I'll do it. And when they did so, huge results. Obedience always produces results. Peter joined Jesus in his preaching. And Jesus joined Peter in his fishing. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. When Jesus directs, he accompanies. Where God guides, he provides. Even the diligent often meet disappointments. Sometimes you and I, we toil all night, all month, all year, and it looks like we catch nothing. These fishermen were, were diligent. They were hardworking, and Jesus singled them out to be his favorites. I love that. They were fit to be good followers of Jesus because they had learned to endure hardship. Anybody here endured any hardship? Anybody here worked all decade? And it seems like it's not working out so good. Jesus knows what he's doing. Those who are going to be his ambassadors to the world, they may toil for a night and catch nothing, but they would be instrumental in bringing many to Christ and enclose many in the gospel net. You may have toiled. Keep listening. Keep pressing in. Keep working. Keep listening. Keep opening your hands. Lord, you can borrow my boat. Lord, you can borrow my time. Lord, you can borrow anything. If you can use anything, Lord, I'm here. I told you my wife and I spent uh, the last seven years full time in, in Ghana, West Africa. And pretty much the whole time there, We felt that God had us in way over our heads. We watched God heal many, raise up churches. Just in the last two years alone, seven new churches have been birthed. People are being set free. The kingdom is expanding. And it's like God did it in spite of me. I hope you heard that. I'm fully convinced God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. See, when when he asked Peter, can I use your boat for my preaching? That's what he was saying. Peter, will you make yourself and your life a little more available to me for my purpose, for my mission? Master, because you say so, I'll do it. Now, we know obedience produced a result, a miraculous catch of fish. So many fish, as they filled the two boats, the weight of the fish is sinking the boats. It's amazing. And what is Peter's response? Humility and self-denial. Lord, I'm a sinful man. You're holy, and I'm not Tell me to leave your presence. That's actually respectful. Even in Africa right now, when I'm with a senior person, I don't just leave. I ask their permission to leave. Kind of reminds me of the of the military. It's called asking permission for leave. Peter's actually asking Jesus for permission. Would you do it for me? Would you just tell me to leave you? I'm sinful and you're holy. He moved from master to Lord. See, master is a level of respect. Teacher, rabbi, master. Master, because you say so. I have enough confidence and submission that I'll try this thing you're asking me to do. Master. But now he says, Lord. Lord, you're holy and I'm not. I'm not worthy. Send me away. Even the best men are sinful and should be ready to own it, especially to Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners. It's amazing to me that, see, at this point in time, Peter does not yet understand the gospel. He doesn't understand. He now knows he's a sinner and Jesus is holy, but he doesn't know the good news. Later on in John 21, we see a similar story. Peter has followed Jesus, but Peter has also denied Jesus three times. And he was very broken over his public denial of Jesus. And in John 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to something I know how to do. This being a disciple thing is hard. And it ain't working out. I'm not a very good disciple, but I'm a fisherman. I'm going fishing. That's John 21, verse 2. And he and six other disciples fish all night, and they catch nothing. But in the morning, Jesus is standing at the shore. Oh, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus is standing at the shore, (laughs) amen how's that working out for you and they answer simply and honestly they just simply say not good and Jesus tells them throw your net on the right side of the boat I've studied that very much and we can't tell you know it's not a huge boat like is it you're on the left side so move to the right side Or is it you were on the wrong side, Move to the correct side? Like, I can't tell. But either way, move to the right side of the boat and throw your nets. Make a full effort. And they catch a miraculous catch immediately. But the net doesn't break and the boats don't sink. That's the difference between directed and undirected service. When that happens... John recognizes it's Jesus and instead of saying, oh, I'm a sinful man, Peter can't wait to get to Jesus. He immediately plunges into the water and is racing to get to Jesus at the shore. What a change has taken place. He went from, oh, you're so holy and I'm so sinful. I'm afraid to, I've got to get to my Jesus. I don't care about these fish. I need Jesus. And he goes he gets to the shore and there is the resurrected Jesus holes in his hands cooking breakfast. And Jesus says, "Go get some of the fish that you caught." Who caught the fish? Go get and it says Peter goes back and he drags the fish ashore. So in the beginning of the story, seven disciples could not move the fish to shore. They couldn't. It was too heavy. But now Jesus tells Peter, go do that. And Peter now has so much strength and passion, he single-handedly pulls it to shore. And Jesus feeds his disciples breakfast. You know the rest of the story. After breakfast, after Jesus himself resurrected Jesus, cooks and feeds his disciples, then he says, so Peter, do you love me more than these Because Peter said, I love you more than anyone else, Lord. If they all disown you, I, I won't. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these plenty, 157 big fish? Do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Then there's the interaction of Jesus and Peter. Jesus massaging Peter's heart, reinstating him as his disciple, as his follower. At the end of that, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, follow me. Peter looks behind and sees John, and he says, Lord, what about him? Like, I'm going to have to do some hard things. I'm going to have to suffer for you, but what about him? And Jesus tells him, none of your business. Don't worry about him. You follow me. As I lead you. Peter, you must follow me. I love that. Jesus' first interaction with Peter is, Come, follow me. Some of his last words to Peter, Peter, follow me. But in, in Luke chapter 5, Peter doesn't understand the gospel yet. Lord, send me away. When Peter preaches the first message after Jesus ascends to heaven, it says that the people were cut to the heart. And they said, What must we do? Peter said, Repent, believe, be baptized. Baptism is the first step of obedience in following Jesus. Repent, believe, and begin following Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is on trial for his faith, and he he lays out the gospel Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter, don't be afraid. I want you with me. I choose you. And we're going to do great things together. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus now calls them to a complete commitment. Peter didn't know yet that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Peter has a repentant heart. Do you see that? Repentance begins with acknowledging I'm a sinful person. He doesn't understand God's grace yet. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He doesn't know that by grace you've been saved and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life that's God loved and God gave when we believe we receive Peter didn't know that yet but Peter had moved from master to Lord salvation is literally Jesus becoming the Lord of my life with our remaining time let's talk about repentance for a minute Repentance is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. But it's something we can forget about, especially if we've been in church for a while. We forget about the life-changing, amazing, empowering dynamics of repentance. Repentance is marked by two things, confession and turning. Confession, it means to agree with God about my sin. God, you are right, and I am wrong. It means to get honest with God, to come clean with God and ourselves, to say the same thing that God says, to agree with him. That's confession. Confession and turning, surrendering to a new way of living, to begin following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Turning means yielding the control of my life to the Holy Spirit. Real repentance is a permanent turning with ongoing results. Permanent turning with ongoing results. Turning not only from what we've done, but from who we are. Siding not only with God against our sins, but even against ourselves. God, I agree with you. You're right and I'm wrong. I'm turning from myself and my sin. I'm yielding myself to you. And to following you. Repentance is required to be saved. What must we do to be saved? First things first. Repent. And begin following Jesus. The way we put our faith in Jesus is through repentance. Confess our sin and turn from sin to Jesus. You cannot turn to Jesus without turning away from something. Salvation is not fire insurance. It is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. Repentance is real. The effects of repentance are real in our life. The gospel demands repentance and faith in Jesus. Have you? Have you? Salvation is Jesus becoming Lord of my life. Repentance is required to be saved. Repentance is required because I am saved. It's not a one-time experience. It's a way of life. Repentance is turning from as much as I know of my sin to give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of God. Turning from as much as I know of my sin to give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of God. It's ongoing and it's progressive. Look at the life of Paul. The longer he followed Jesus, the more he spoke and taught about ongoing repentance. The more he acknowledged his own sin. The more he acknowledged his own weakness. It's ongoing. When I accepted Jesus in 1990, from then until now, 25 years later, I know much, much more about my sin. And I can now give more of myself to God. And I know much more about the holiness of our Lord and His grace and His love and His gospel. Amen? As our knowledge of sin and self grows, so our practice of ongoing repentance grows. I must continually respond to God in repentance. God, you are right. And I'm wrong. And I'm moving to your side. That's ongoing repentance. It's not that I'm saved again. No. But I'm repairing and maintaining my fellowship with God. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says this to a church. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left Your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You've forsaken your first love. The original language talks about the real word talks about a gap, a distance, a height. Consider the height from which you have fallen. You and I had intimacy, and now your relationship with me is just a routine. He even told this church, you are very good at protecting good teaching and doctrine, but you're no longer good at loving each other or loving me. Unless you repent, I will distance myself from you. That's ongoing repentance. God, I'm sorry. Please help me. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. With repentance, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and speaks to the heart of people. The time to repent is always now. Always, as soon as the Holy Spirit pierces our heart, when the Word of God pierces, we repent. If we don't, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can become insensitive to the Holy Spirit if we don't live repenting in the now. Don't play with God. When He speaks to you, you listen and you respond to what he's saying. And this is exciting. This is where life and liberty are found and experienced. Is there anything right now that you need to repent from? They were working and listening. Faith comes by hearing. Following Jesus begins and continues with listening with information. Can Jesus borrow your boat? some of your time? Will you respond to his word, his invitation to get involved in his activity? Jesus asked Peter to do something he had done a thousand times, but this time do it differently. Will you let Jesus take you fishing? It's exciting. Will you let Jesus lead every area of your life? Will you let him take you into the deep? What is your deep? That thing you're resisting. You know what the Lord has said, but for some reason you're not willing to say, because you say so. I'll do it. What is your thing? Follow me. Leave your nets and follow. Am I ready to change direction as he leads? what is your next step faith without action is no faith at all we're not just hearers of his word right we're doers peter was working and listening he had a choice he could have stopped there jesus gave him an invitation he even gave him a directive peter had a choice Thank God he responded, because you say so, I'll do it. Peter experienced Jesus' love and power, but not until he took that practical step. Because you say so. It's like Jesus says to us often, I have so much more for you, but I can't do it until you take that step. That single decision. If you're new here and you're just beginning to press in and you're beginning to listen, keep coming. Faith comes by hearing. Keep coming. Keep listening. If you've been listening for a while and Jesus is saying, can I borrow your boat? What's your boat? Is it your work? Is it your house? Is it your time? Is it your talent? Is it your treasure? Your resources? Are you willing to let Jesus take you fishing? Are you willing to do something different? Even though you've tried already. Even though you know your work. Jesus told them to come follow me. And I will make you. And they left their nets and followed. Am I ready to change today? To adjust my lifestyle. To change my priorities. To change direction. Even to surrender all. What is your next step? Take it. What hangs in the balance for you? Today, will you say Yes, Lord. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.